Welcome to Ruling Sports, a podcast giving you a playbook for life. I'm your host, Alicia Jessup. Join me as I interview athletes, leaders, and innovators to uncover their game plans for success and give you insights to rule your life. Let the play clock begin. What do you do when there's something you want out of life? Do you go after it? Or do you sit back waiting for it to come to you? Today's guest is Ray Austin, someone who lives by the mantra, when you're ready, you ain't gotta get ready. This belief has led Ray to relentlessly pursue what he believes he is called to do in life. Ray is a former NFL player who was drafted by the New York Jets in the fifth round in 1997. A self-proclaimed army brat, Ray's childhood took him coast to coast before landing in Oklahoma in high school. After a successful high school football season, Ray became a highly sought-after college football recruit. He will share with us a hilarious recruiting story featuring one of the greatest football coaches in history and tells us about the major risk he took to land at his dream college. Now look, I don't want to give away where Ray went to school, but here's what I'll tell you. He played alongside athletes like Peyton Manning. And so it's here that Ray discusses the unique approach he took to navigating that college locker room and how it set him up for success. This is a great lesson that you can apply to your life even if you aren't a football player. One of the most pivotal parts of this conversation is when Ray discusses being drafted into the NFL. Ray calls being drafted into the NFL a blessing and a curse. The points he makes here are fascinating and vulnerable on the need to keep setting goals even beyond those that once seemed insurmountable. After the NFL, Ray has enjoyed a successful modeling and acting career. He discusses how he broke into the industry, and let me tell you, it's pretty funny, and gives advice for others wanting to do the same. Today, Ray is a co-founder of Fan-Controlled Sports, where he is the commissioner of the Fan-Controlled Football League. He tells us why when building a company focusing on everything that can go wrong instead of what can go right is a secret weapon to success. Ray also highlights how he was able to build trust with his fan-controlled co-founders despite never meeting nor knowing them before founding the company. Finally, Ray shares with us what he's doing with another company he owns, an NIL-related company called Athlete. He has great thoughts on the state of NIL and where expanded opportunity needs to be created for college athletes. This is such a wide-ranging, fun episode that you don't want to miss. Ray not only has incredible advice for goal-setting, building a life after sports and entrepreneurship, but he's really funny. There's a lot of good laughs in this episode. So now, join me in welcoming Ray Austin to the Ruling Sports Podcast. Ray, welcome to the Ruling Sports Podcast. I'm so excited to talk about your incredible life journey and all you're up to as an athlete turned entrepreneur. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me, Alicia. I appreciate it. I just, I love talking athletes and I love talking sports. So let's get into it. 
All right, let's go. So we start the same way every time. What goal, quote, or mindset has guided your life? I I always use uh, when you're ready, you ain't got to get ready. And everybody gives that to Will Smith. But I think it was like a rapper who said that, like (laughs) some some dude named Sugar Free or something. I don't know. But I I, I live by that. When you're ready, you ain't got to get ready. Meaning that if you are ready for that opportunity, you ain't got to be, you, you, you will have that confidence because you, you've been through the, you know, you've been thinking about it. You've been preparing for it. You're, you're just waiting for your opportunity to be there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody says, what is luck? You know, it's opportunity meets preparation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think as this conversation unfolds, we'll probably see how preparation has been central to the myriad things you have done in this life. But let's start with your childhood. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what you were into. Oh, man, I was a, I was an Army brat. So I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina in the projects. My dad ended up joining the Army. We'd been to Korea. We'd been to Louisiana, Colorado, and I ended up in Hawaii. Uh, which was great. Had some of the best times of my life there. Of course, you could only imagine. And I was a, you know, a quiet kid and I had a bigger brother and my wife, my mom would always be like, hey, go out and play, you know, sports with your brother. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so I used to kick the can all the way down the street because I he was bigger than me, you know? Yeah. So I get to the parks where all the guys are playing football and I'm like, oh man, I've got to fit in some way, somehow. And the, the best athlete on the field said, man, I'll take little guy. Uh, I got on this team, man. And I had these same hands when I was like nine years old. So they, I had to grow into him. And uh, all he said was, we got into the huddle. He said, go deep. And I was like, uh, what is deep? But whatever. <laughs> okay. And I went deep and he threw the ball at me. And uh, I did everything in my power to catch it. And I caught it. And I instantly fell in love with the game of football. And I knew then I had something that, you know, some of the kids there that that day didn't have. And my brother went back home to my mom and he was so proud uh-huh. like to hang out with me. And that's when I knew like, all right, I got to do this now. So, What's your brother's name? Dwayne, Dwayne. And what's the age difference between the two of you? Two, two years. When I look back at that, I think it was perfect because he was older than me. So, you know, he, he was a knucklehead and he made, you know, he would go out and do all kinds of things and I would learn from it and be like, okay, not going to do that. So <laughs> I, I appreciate him more than he, he, he knows. So. That's awesome. And so what was the then kid's name who picked you for his team? Junior Falafia. That's a Hawaiian name if you ain't never heard of one. Junior Falafia. He was the he was a quarterback of that school, which was Leilahua High School, and which is a great story because the, the running back at that high school was phenomenal. He was an army brat too. And he ended up getting a scholarship. And that's when I understood that you can actually go continue playing football. And this kid got a scholarship to go to a college. And I'm like, oh, okay. I need to go to college to keep playing football. And that's when I knew that's that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Okay. So was this on Oahu or what island were you Oahu. on? Oahu. Yep. I went to Wahiwa Intermediate and Leilahua High School. So fr- from that neighborhood game where someone picks you, the little guy, did that group of friends stay together? Did you kind of continue forward? No. And that's the thing about the Army Brad, but thank goodness for, for Facebook. Uh, you, you know, you moved around every time, you know, so you only had friends for like two years and three years and, and you fell out of, you know, touch for forever. But I think what that taught me is, you know, coming from Greensboro, North Carolina, the country and the projects 
to Colorado and then Hawaii. And then I ended up in Oklahoma. I became very diverse. Hmm. You know, I was not one central minded and had just, you know, grew up in this one small area. So I didn't really get to see much. I got to see a lot. And I, I always say that to my dad, like I appreciated, you know, him being in the military because I got to see the world and I got to find out what I was able to do in life. And you probably got to work with all different types of people and learn how to yeah. cross like different cultural boundaries. Yeah, I, I love sushi to this day. <laughs> I, I love sushi and kimchi. People, yeah, <laughs> those are those are big foods back then. Because we, were, me, me and my brother, was eating sushi back in like the '80s when it wasn't cool to do it. It was like you just this is what they eat around here, and just loving the the fruit and you know being able to not go home all day. Like these kids, though, they don't want to go outside. We would play football all day not to go home. And we would literally just eat the fruit that was falling off of the trees in the backyards that we were playing in. It was some of the best times of my life that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. It's pretty epic. Did your brother play football? He was a track guy. Yeah, he was a long jumper uh, track guy. He played football when we got to Oklahoma. And I know you go from Hawaii to Oklahoma, you're like, what the heck just happened? And it was it was a it was a huge culture shock. It was a huge culture shock. But thank you for the. The football guys, they knew what they were doing and they moved me into a school that was the number one team in the country. Hmm. They were 14 and 0 the year before. And I didn't even think I was going to even have a chance to even play on this football team and ended up starting as hmm. a sophomore. And we ended up winning the national championship. And it was it just was the start of my, my, my career. And that's when my brother decided to join his senior year. And then I saw how strong my brother was. And then I realized I was stronger than him. And uh, <laughs> things changed when we got back home. You know, so. Are you and Dwayne still cool? My brother is my best friend. Right? We, we, uh, we, play, we play online chess all the time. And I say it all the time, you know, all the things that I've done doesn't matter because he instilled a lot of, you know, things in me as a kid that uh, just that, that won't go away. What was the high school in Oklahoma? Lawton, Oklahoma. Lawton Eisenhower in Lawton, Oklahoma. It was on uh, close to Fort Seal, which is an artillery base. My dad was a drill sergeant. So uh, I grew up with that mentality and that type of growing up, which I respect and, and, and thank. You know, back then, when I look back at it, I'm like, man, my dad was hard, hard, man. He was way hard on us. But when I got to college, I was straight. Yeah. I was disciplined. I wasn't hanging out. I didn't drink when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was like, and and, and my coaches saw that. They were like, man, this kid's a real mature kid. Mm-hmm. It was because my dad was that way when we were in high school. Yeah, d- discipline is definitely an important art. What other players came out of that high school? Oh, man. James Trapp played for the Raiders. Martin Chase played for the Giants and Baltimore Ravens. Ed Peterson played for the Vikings. So uh, we had one Olympian uh, 400 meter, uh, Jason Jason Rouser. Uh, We just had some phenomenal athletes, phenomenal athletes at that school. I won two state championships, uh, a state runners up football and a state championship there it was we were just it was just probably some of the best athletes i'd ever been around in my entire life it was crazy team was stacked <laughs> it was crazy it was crazy we used to walk on the we used to walk on the track and people just go <laughs> it, it, it was rough it was rough for anybody in the 90s when it came to us we were we we pretty much held everything down which was great what position did you play 
I was a safety. So when I got into that, when I was on that team where we won a national championship, there were so many great players. I was just fast. So they put me at middle, uh, uh, weak side linebacker, which is almost kind of like a safety. And I had these incredible big guys in front of me. They were all Americans. They all went off and played in the D1 and all that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just running around, just not knowing <laughs> what to do and just running to tackle. I was just running into tackles, literally. <laughs> And my sophomore year went by, my junior year went by, and I was still at that position and my hmm. and I wasn't getting any, no one was looking at me. My I was getting afraid, telling my coach, like, what's going on? He was like, relax, I'm gonna do something your senior year. He moved me to safety my senior year, and I had probably the most incredible year I've ever had in playing football. I had over hmm. 110 tackles, 12 interceptions, wow. and every letter in the world came to me at that time. And it was it was it was amazing. And then I ended up running track and uh, had four goals in the state track meet, hold the state record and the 300 hurdles had the second fastest time. And so I just my senior year was incredible. It was just an incredible <laughs> year. It was, a, it was like I was like uh, John Travolta in Greece. I was like the guy. Like it was just it was just one of those one of those great years. So I, I love that. That was some of the best times of my life. That's epic and probably good that your dad instilled discipline because there's probably a lot of directions that could have gone when you're getting that much attention and notoriety at a young age. Yeah, I mean, you were kind of used to good athletes coming out of there. So it was, you were well-respected, but, and it was such a small city, you know, it was like, you know, Texas and Oklahoma football, everybody knows you. You know, you're on every piece, every paper, every week. So everybody knows who your name, you know, who you are. So the recruiting letters are flooding in. Um, <laughs> I love covering recruiting and I think it's changed a little bit in the internet age. Yeah. Any weird recruiting stories or something that stands out? <laughs> My mom hated every letter that came to the house. She literally would go to the mailbox and go, if another coach or college sends you another piece of letters, they just, <laughs> can you just tell them not that you're not going to their schools? It was hilarious. My mom hated every time she picked the mail up, it'd be like 12, 15 pieces of paper or wow. mail. And it's just letters of, of schools. But my favorite recruiting story is this is my favorite recruiting story. I don't know if you remember back in the day, Tom Osborne, uh, mm -hmm. University of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. That's just when they were winning the national championships. He went to the, the school next to me, Mike Mentor, played in the uh, NFL for 19 years with the Carolina Panthers. He went to University of Nebraska. And so when I went to my recruit visit, you know, we were good friends, you know, Nebraska thought that's where I was going to go because of him. And he was ah. just like, man, we can go up there. We, we're, we can just run this place, man. He, you playing side by side. And I got up to Nebraska was like, uh-uh, I'm not, <laughs> this is not, no, I am not doing, sorry. I'm not doing it. I had to come back home because I had a track meet and Tom Osborne got on a private jet with me. Like they, wow. they flew me back early. They were wow. just being so accommodated flew back with me and had a conversation with me on the, on the, on the plane it was amazing. And we, we pull into the Oklahoma's little airport. We come home. My entire neighborhood is outside. <laughs> my entire neighborhood is outside. I'm like, what is going on? We get out the car. We go in the house. He comes, sits down with me and my mom, my dad, we talk. My mom, I, I don't know how to explain this, but my mom put out Doritos in a little bowl, put out a whole bag of Doritos and she put them <laughs> on the table. And you know, that's just what you do, right? Yeah. And so he leaves and my dad, as soon as he closed the door, my dad looks at me and says, you're going to Nebraska. And, I'm like, <laughs> and my mom's like, no, he ain't. I'm like, <laughs> and she's like, why? And he's like, why are you going to Nebraska? 
That man ate up all my Doritos. <laughs> that is what you're worried about. That John Osborne, the national champion, getting go back on a private jet, ate up all your Doritos. Got it. Uh, and it was just, it was, it was just a hilarious time. And I was, and I was telling them both, I'm not doing any of that. I'm going to University of Tennessee. So my dad was like, "What? Yeah, Tennessee." He was like, "They not even recruiting you." Which they did. <laughs> They didn't recruit me because they didn't have to go that far to find good players. Come on, uh-huh. you gotta go all the way to Oklahoma to find good players when you know the SEC's got Florida, Alabama, Georgia, whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know they they haven't reached out to me yet because they don't know about me. So I made my own highlight. I put <laughs> I put both of the BCRs together and push record, made my own highlights. Wow, sent it to Tennessee. And when they came back from Christmas break, Coach Foreman was in my office, in my coach's office. Like, we didn't know that you was even here. I signed, like, I went to the first, I went to my recruit visit and knew that's where I wanted to go. Why did you want to go to Tennessee? Because they didn't give me, because they didn't give me, they didn't know about me. Like, I was offended. I was like, hold up. And they were really good at the time. They were really good. And I was like, my dad was like, he just won a national championship. Yeah. And I'm like. They don't know about me over there. They don't know. They go. They go find out about me. And I went to Tennessee. That's that's why I went. And I ended up starting as a true freshman. They and it was it was some of the most badass football that you could <laughs> ever play, man. I I seen so many amazing athletes come out of there and play with and traditional games and just being on you know field with Peyton and. Little little Al Wilson, you know, just all, all the up playing against Danny Waffle and just it was some of Fred Taylor. And then to know those are gonna be the same guys that are gonna be in the NFL. It was it was some of the uh best football I've ever played in my life. You had never been there before. Never been there, <laughs> never saw the play, <laughs> never seen it. Did all I the orange and white, the big T. I was just like, I gotta go, I'm going there. And when I walked through that stadium, I don't care who you are, you walk through Neyland Stadium. At that time, you know, I think it was 98,000. Now it's up to like 115 or something like that. But when you walk through that stadium, you're like, yeah, this is where I want to play. This is, this is, this is where I want to play. And my dad made a great point to, he, my dad did a lot of research on all the schools and he had found out that Tennessee played on national TV nine times. That's when he was like, okay, I get what you're doing now because we're going to get to see you. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I did it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but 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 back then, that was exposure. It wasn't just the internet. We all you had was national games to get recognized that you was a good player in college. Have you ever seen Tom Osborne since? I've not, man. And I always did too. I always did. He was when I tell you, man, that guy was great. That was a, I, he. He almost had me. I ain't gonna lie. He <laughs> is just a great. He was just a great guy. Like and everybody I know that's. Uh, coached under him they all say the same thing so yeah Tom Osborne taught me how to throw a football which (laughs) is a story for another day I grew up in Colorado so he beat up on my CU Buffalo so I was kind of raised to not like Tom Osborne and then I had a chance to spend a day with him in 2017 and I was like oh my gosh this is like the salt of the earth like the greatest man so cool on this so, planet. Yeah. I think there's a lot of psychology and I actually think there's some great dating advice in that story. You never want to come on too strong. Like our, our brains are primed to like want to be loved by the person who doesn't love us. And so I think coach Fulmer, I think he played that pretty well. <laughs> Were you and Peyton in the same class or like where was Peyton? He was a year, uh, he's a year behind me. 
Do you want exclusive insights from your favorite athletes, sport industry leaders, and innovators delivered straight to your inbox? Subscribe today to the Ruling Sports Newsletter. The Ruling Sports Newsletter cuts the mystery out of success by bringing you leadership tools, entrepreneurial strategies, business insights, and wellness tips straight from some of the world's most positively impactful people. So go to rulingsports.com today and subscribe for free. You've talked about an incredible list of just premier talent and leaders that you were there with. Is there a leadership lesson that you took from any of these people that you named that's kind of carried you through today? Oh, man, my my thing is always, listen, I was never the, the, the tallest, the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, but you wasn't going to outwork me. That's just point blank. I knew I knew my talent. I knew my talent level, but I knew that dog in me too, you know? Mm-hmm. So I knew, I, I was always attracted to the guys who worked their asses off. So my friends were all, I was in the gym. I was in the gym like this, all right? He works out hard in the gym. I'm gonna go work out with him. Boom, we're doing conditioning. All right, that's the fastest guy. I'm gonna go work. Oh, mm. This guy's watching film. Got it. I'm finna. And so that became my crew. And so as I as a as a freshman, so I'm connecting myself with the juniors and the seniors that mm. that let me come and you know hang out with them like that. And then when I became a senior, I didn't even realize it. I was one of those guys then. Huh. And I was just like, oh, but I always, I literally, my best friend was a freak of nature. Uh, Tori Noel, he was the fastest, strongest, you know, as his height, weight, whatever. He was one of the best athletes ever come through Tennessee. Uh, ended up getting a, a serious injury, but mm-hmm. I worked out with him so much because I he was stronger than me, and mm-hmm. I knew I was like, and I did have a skill of I knew the game very pretty well. I, I people, I was more of a coach's, you know, coach player. I love to watch film, I love to see. Mm. You know, I'd love to dissect it. That's why I don't watch football now. And all my friends hate me because I watch, I don't watch it like, oh, I'm watching it like, oh, okay, yeah, the safety, you know, came off the hash and they threw the seam route. Yeah, that's why that happened. And, <laughs> and they're like, thanks, right? You know, I'm like, right, that, and I don't, so I don't, I don't really watch a lot of pro football because of that. I do watch Tennessee, but it's, it's just that that's the coach kind of, you know, the coach, coach player in me. That That's fascinating. You know, there's that saying that says hard work beats talent every time. And right. obviously you were very talented, but you put in the time, you put in the effort to make that even greater. So in 97, you were drafted by the New York Jets. How would you describe this moment? It was it was a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. And I would say now when I look back, it's a curse when I look at it back then it was a blessing because I'd finally did it. You know, my, I told my mom forever since we were in Hawaii that I was going to play in the NFL. I had Bo Jackson, Tim Brown, and Deion Sanders. And Deion Sanders was in in college at the time, but I had his Florida State poster and they were, and literally they were on my walls. So every day, all I would see would picture my, my black face in that helmet mm-hmm. every day. So I was like, I'm going to be one of these dudes. Mm-hmm. And when it happened, it was one of the most, I don't know, it's like the relief, the pressure was like, man, I did it. I actually did it. And people always like, man, you you played in the NFL because you went to college and you were really, you played really good football in college. Nah, man, that dream started back in Greensboro mm-hmm. and in Hawaii and, 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 you know, working on my craft, being in the gym, you know, watching film taking care of my body, like all the, there's so, there's so many great athletes that are not in the NFL. 
mm-hmm. because something happened, some mm-hmm. hurdle, something happened in life, and they just didn't make it. And to be one of those that made it in, it was it. it there is no other better feeling to feel like of like you feel you feel somewhat superhero ish. You know, because you know that you're one of the most elite play, elite athletes in the world ever, you know, and it is it was it was just a phenomenal feeling. And I know for me, it wasn't because I was just this great athlete. I was like, I made it because yeah. of my mental got me through all that stuff. What was the curse? The curse, the dream ended right there. Like, I didn't think past football. I didn't even think past getting drafted. Like now I look and I hear some 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 of my friends or some guys, even even the kids now. And they say stuff like LeBron said something the other day, man, like I never thought about, I always said I was going to be one of the greatest. I always said I was going to, you know, win this many championships. I always said this. He didn't never, he said he never thought about having the most points. I never thought after the NFL, like what, what, what goals do you have in the Hmm. NFL? You, are you going to play five years, 10 years? Are you going to be elite? Are you going to make all pro? Did you, I had stopped my goal like right there. Mm-hmm. And didn't realize it when I got there. So NFL was a big eye opener for me at first. Like mm-hmm. I was head on the swivel. Like I thought I was ready and I wasn't. You you tend to, you know, there's, I, I, I think when it comes to NFL players, the guys who make it and the guys who don't, you really have to understand the process and that it is a business. And a lot of guys don't, you, you go from eating ramen noodles and being told what to do and telling, and everybody telling that you are God to you got to get your ass up on your own and get mm-hmm. get to practice and watching film and taking care of your body and taking notes and it was a lot of things that you like oh I prepared myself for mm-hmm. but you didn't really really prepare yourself for and it was a maturing process my rookie year and thank God I just had some really great vets uh on the on the squad at that time Aaron Glenn mm-hmm. Ricky, you know Ray Mickens Jerome Henderson Victor Brown, like I had some really great older guys that pulled me under their wing and said, Hey, bro, you don't, you ain't, you coming to work. You're not going to practice with you know, jogging pants on, you know, put on some slacks and a shirt. Man, I don't, you know, not understanding that. Like, wow, okay. And those, and those are the eye opening things that happened in the, in the, in the league. But I can say what the league did show me was business. Wow. I, I think there's so much great advice in there. And I appreciate your willingness to share what you identify as a curse because I think it, if people are really honest, it's something most of us encounter. We set this goal and we work our life to get this goal. And you had a big goal that roughly a thousand people in this world get to engage in every year. So it's a pretty insurmountable goal, but there's levels to the goal and the ability to expand your mind and the ability to see past this thing that you've got to focus on with such laser focus and realize that there's something beyond that that's what builds the LeBrons. That's what builds the Brady's. It, it's a gift. Absolutely. It's a gift. And that's what I learned to take that same blueprint that I have used my entire life to get me there, take that with me to these next journeys that I'm about to go to. Well, that's why I think it's funny that you call this a curse because I know what's happened in your life since the NFL. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, the NFL is cool, but man, like, you fundraised $40 million for a company. To me, that's a little, I, I don't know. I, like, I think that's really impressive. So I'm like, 
you're not cursed. Like what's going on here? So let's pivot course a little bit here. After the conclusion of your NFL career, you went on to have many more incredibly successful careers. First with modeling and acting. Did you ever want to be a model or actor? All right, I'm gonna tell you this, Alicia. All right. And y'all listeners, don't give don't and don't y'all make fun of me when I say this. One of the people that I used to look up to back when I was a kid was OJ Simpson. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I knew I, you know, it was Deion Sanders, OJ, and it was just like, I was like, man, wait, he playing football. Like it 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 blew my mind back then. It blew, and I was just like, wow, you can do both. So it was always in the back of my head. But I didn't really I didn't really know if that was something that I could actually do. Um, when I was in New York, when I was playing with the Jets, I ran into an agent that was with Wilhelmina and she was like, come, come up to just to go to a go see or whatever. I didn't know what that meant. And I get there and there's a ton of these beautiful women and guys. And they walking in and out and they like because they were, they were getting nose, 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 nose. I'm like, oh, well, I get up there and they literally wanted to sign me on the spot. And I was wow. like. Okay, so what do I got to do? And they were sending me on auditions, but I was in practice. And they dropped me over within two or three weeks. When I got to Chicago and when was done playing ball, I said, and I ran into an uh, a casting, uh, excuse me, an agency, and I was like elite model management. And I get there, and I'm like, you know what? Why not? I go up there to the interview. I'm like, hey, I like the model here. And they were like, okay, uh, open call is on Thursday and it's Tuesday. <laughs> Come back. And I was like, all right, can, can I get the bathroom? They were like, yeah. Went to the bathroom. I walked straight up into an agent's office. <laughs> it's like, hey, how you doing? Introduced myself, sitting there talking to him for an hour. They end up signing me on the spot took me upstairs and was like, we like his, his, his energy, his, his charisma. We think he could probably do some on camera stuff, maybe commercials and things like that. And I was just like, wow. And, and in the first four weeks, I booked my first national ad called Rentway. It was a national commercial and I made so much money off of this commercial. I was like, really? Oh my gosh. It was a net, like they, it played all the time. So when it happens is when you book a commercial and it's a national spot, like let's just say uh, Chase or uh, Burger King or Wendy's. It's a national spot. Every time you see it played, the actors get paid. Oh, it's dang. Residuals. It's great. The commercial had me jumping over a couch. I was supposed to use my hand, jump on the couch and go, yeah, cool. That's all I had to do. <laughs> In the audition, I'm looking at the couch and I'm like, well, I can jump over the couch. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. So I jump over the couch and looking <laughs> just like they asked me to book it instantly. <laughs> now, when I get to on set, they're like, hey, man, we really love the way you jumped over that couch. Can you do that? 77 times I had to jump over that couch and land. And oh, then I was like below. I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm jumping over and, and it was one of the funnest days I had. And I was like, I could do this for the, I, I'm going I, I want to do this. I want to be acting. I want to do the modeling. And it was, I've had an incredible, incredible career because I've got incredible agents, man. I have done over 126 commercials. I've done uh, modeling for probably over 36 other campaigns. I've been on all the shows, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Empire. Uh, I know where I fit. I'm like, I'm like the dad, the fourth guy in the group. The black guy, the fourth guy of the group, three white guys and the black guy, that's me. And a policeman or a fireman. That like, 
I kill those roles. Like that is literally, I've been typecast here in Chicago and it's, it's okay because I love it. it. I just have nothing but fun doing it. Did you take any modeling or acting classes? I did take acting classes after I started to book because then my agent started to take me serious and was like, mm-hmm. hey, casting directors will come back and be like, hey, this guy's got something a little bit. You guys may want to work with him. And so I, uh, being in Chicago, Chicago's an amazing city to start in because, you know, everybody thinks everything comes out of LA and now mm-hmm. New York and now actually in Atlanta is, is a huge uh, place now, but Chicago is, is rocking and rolling and always has. That Back in the day, there was a lot of commercial work here. Now it's more of the shows, you know, the Netflixes are here, the, mm. you know, the, the NBC uh, sh- uh, cop shows are here. And so Chicago has become a, a place where a lot of shooting it. They just, they literally just opened up a huge studio just now. Huh. Um, and, and yeah, it, Chicago is the, one of the best places to get started if you wanted to be an actor or a model for sure. So that takes some pretty serious gumption to walk into an agent's office, pretend like you're going to the bathroom and then make a pivot straight into the agent's office. Where do you get that confidence? Like you just said, when you're ready, you ain't got to get ready. When you, my, I, I, I looked up to guys like Deion Sanders back in the day and I see how he is. I can't even say resurrect, man, because the man ain't, ain't, ain't lost a step on how to promote himself and how to be confident about who you are and, and walk in your skin. I've always been that way. My wife says it all the time. And I, I was ready because the opportunity was there. You, you feel me? I don't know how to even say that anymore. Like if I walked, like if, if I was out right now at a store and I ran into Jeff Bezos, my, my elevator pitch is ready. Yep, yep. That's just because I've already I've already looked, I've already I've, I've already prepared at some point for that. And I think that's where the confidence comes. I'm like, I'm always working and always thinking about what's next. For me. I, I'm a professor. And so I work with a lot of students and I mentor a lot of other people. And I always tell people, you have to believe in yourself more than anybody else does. And it's not cockiness. It's not arrogance, but it's knowing what your distinct and unique value, and everyone has value in this world, what your value is that you bring to the game. Um, I'm a pretty religious person. Like I humble myself before the Lord, but like God didn't put me here to not use the skills that I have and to go get the opportunities that are frankly going to make the world a better place. Like if I'm using my gifts and talent, the world is going to be better. So I think that's really cool. That's that is what you're here for. I mean, if we talk about people talk about a lot of things scriptural, but man, the biggest thing is faith. Like, do you believe? Do you, if if you don't believe in yourself, how, how hard would it be to believe in anything else? Right. Like, like it starts with you. You yep. you you. It, the the faith starts with you having faith in yourself, having faith that God made you exactly the way you're supposed to be. Period. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you're supposed to be happy and excited about that. And I, I, I shout that every day. And my, my wife says it all the time, man. And, and it's not, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say that every day I wake up, I'm like, woo, woo, woo. I have to meditate every day. Yeah, I yeah. meditate every day for 10 minutes. I do yoga every day for 10 minutes. I'm listening to affirmations for day for 10 minutes. I give, I give that back to myself before I start my, before I start my day, but I'm always working on my mind because that's the strongest thing that I got. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Ruling Sports on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. 
It goes a long way to growing the show. Thank you for your support. Listen, you have this incredible commercial career. You're giving flow a run for our money. Now we know that flow is laughing all the way to the bank. Um, you're acting in television in incredible shows, but then you become a successful entrepreneur in 2017. You became a founder of fan controlled football. Tell us a little bit about the league. Oh my gosh, fan control football. We started this back in 2013. Uh, we all say we had this idea. I had this idea first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, put that on camera. No, but I was in Chicago and I had this idea of fans running, you know, a football game. And I had no idea how to make it happen. This was in 2013. None of this technology even was even available. I got so far with it and shelved it and didn't, just ran out of money, was getting married, ran out of money. And one of my old teammates, I ran into Tony Parrish, played for the Bears. We had lunch and I was telling him about the idea. And he was like, man, he was like, how would that work, man? I can't do this. You got to do that, that. And he he was my oracle. He told me everything I needed to know because hmm. he told me how it wasn't going to work. So I had to figure out how it could work. Mm -hmm. And so we get back together. He connect, and he literally is like, Hey, Ray, I ran into a guy named Sorab Faroudi, who's my CEO. He says, he's thinking doing the same thing you're thinking. And so I get nervous. I'm like, somebody's already thinking about doing this. And he was like, yeah. And he has an indoor football team in the IFL. I'm like, Ugh. and he was like, no, 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 no. He wants to meet you. Oh, what? Like, he doesn't know me. He lived in LA. He'd already met with the other two founders. Mm -hmm. And I was the, I was the missing link. Flew up there. None of us knew each other. We're all sitting, talking. We're all kind of giving it through it from our own ideas. And so Rob looked at us all and said, hey, guys, why don't we just do this together? Wow. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Y'all talking about starting the business. He was talking about raising $2 million. And I was like, what, are we, what is going on? And, it, and my wife was the one that told me, like, what if, though? And I was less mm -hmm. like, right. Because, you know, at first you're like, no, this is mine. It's my idea. Yep. I can't go listen. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, how to do. And then it's just like, if you really want big things to happen, you have to have help. I couldn't have gotten it there by myself. Mm -hmm. They needed me and I needed them. And it's just, I mean, bottom line. And we, we had our proof of concept. We raised 2.5 million. Uh, we ran the Screaming Eagles up in Salt Lake City. We allowed the fans to call the plays build the team. We all, we did all this in the IFL, which we were almost like a thumb uh, of the fist. They really wasn't helpful having us. They didn't want us there. Let's just imagine fans <laughs> yeah. beating their coaches. Like they didn't want that. <laughs> so we're like, fine, we're going to, you know, we, we didn't know what to do. We were like, we, we just need to do our own thing. And then COVID hit and forever everybody's been telling us like, man, fans, how are you going to have a league with fans not being in the stands? And so when you think about how life is, when you stop your dreams because people tell you what won't work or how it won't work. And then if you keep on walking, you start picking up these things on the journey to make those things work. And mm. so when COVID hit, it was a, the pandemic really was, a, I hate to say it was a blessing and a curse because it, 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 it put everybody in the house and it, and it put a lot of regulations on things and, and, and made things hard for people to work and, and sports alone. But we had, we had come, we had already had thought of this being a sport in a box. That's what we always called it. A sport in a box. Mm. We wanted to take a big sport 
and shrink it, condense it, and make it a smaller sport in a box. And the pandemic allowed us to do that. We had our hard times and hardships doing it, but uh, with with the pandemic and you know the rules and regulations and whatnot, but we 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 turned out an incredible incredible product where we had over 20 million people watching all over the world calling plays we have uh we had over 100 million social views we were able to raise our series a with at 40 million dollars we had distribution deals with nbclx peacock the zone we had awesome awesome team owners from richard sherman to marshawn lynch to quavo it was like a sports club everybody always even my guys they always ask me what is the funnest and the hardest thing you ever done i was like this being an mm. entrepreneur being an entrepreneur i i was built to play football you know what i'm saying i was built i was born to do that i wasn't born i had to learn all the things in in entrepreneurship i tell them all the time man fcf bank control football has been a university for me you know huh. i've learned I've learned how to negotiate. I've learned marketing. I've learned Web3. I learned NFTs. I learned production. I learned, you know what I'm saying? So I've learned all these things on on the fly that I was able to take what I learned and put them into another business. We've had Kenny Vaccaro who played college ball at Texas and was a first round draft pick in the NFL. He's an entrepreneur now. He said very, very, very similar. And it's it's so cool to hear those stories. How did you build trust with your co-founders though? You mentioned you didn't know these people from Adam. You have this idea that frankly, like you probably could have at least gotten off the ground on your mm-hmm. own. How did you build trust? It was hard. That was the hardest thing. But the one thing I think, like you say, going back to the blueprint, how do things really work and how things have worked for me is I work very good in a team. Being a captain, being a, a you know, be a captain in football, I understand teamwork. I understand everybody plays their role. I've been on a football team with Peyton Manning where you're not going to get all the shine, but my impact on the field is going to be just as great as his is. You know what I mean? Him throwing a touchdown and me getting the interception and winning the game is it's two, it's the same thing, you yeah. know? And so I that's when I realized like, I can't do what he does. He can't do what I do. That and and that's when I understood we're 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 a defensive back. Those are my corners, and we're the safety. And we we all play our roles. And that's what really we started to understand that we and and that took time. That took a lot of time because you see it the way you see the business and how I visualize it different than him. Mm-hmm. different than him and different than him and we all saw it and we even said that we even when we talked about the business we we all we talked to talked about it through our voices he <laughs> talked about it through the business side i talked about it through the football side the, you know my other uh founder he talked it through it, the engagement and growth side so you got four different stories when you heard it but now like as we've been together for so long now the story sounds like one and that just takes time man it's just like a it's like a you know a singing group. You got the people <laughs> in the back singing, and then and then you come out and you say what you say, and then you get back in line and you know <laughs> sing, sing the chorus. You know, so everybody plays their role, and I and I think that's the bit we we've, we've created. The one thing I can be so I'm the proudest of is we've created this uh, culture of mm-hmm. of the locker room and the people that we bring on. There is this, there is this. We call we say LFG. Every LFG has become our verb and everything that we do. 
It is LFG can mean so many things. It can be, <laughs> it can be let's go. You're gonna it's bleep whatever. it out. <laughs> it is. LFG is what it is, you know. And 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 it's so cool that when people come, new new people join the 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 the, the company, and they find out. Oh, LFG. Okay, LFG. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's something we created, and, and and I love that culture that uh, you start to connect with different people. The tech guys are learning football. The football guys are learning marketing. The marketing guys are learning web. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's been really, really cool uh, with all the information and things that I've been able to, 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 to learn from all. So awesome. I know your co-founder, Patrick Dees. So I would like to see the I, two of you sing a song together sometime. That sounds pretty entertaining. Um, th thank you. And I, I think that's such a good anecdote for building co-founder trust. You're not just the founder and commissioner of the fan-controlled football league. You also are the founder of another company. Do you want to tell us about it? I will. And this is something I'm truly, truly proud of because I'm loving the direction that we're going. In, in fan control football, I, I really forced and pushed the, the narrative more than an athlete. Me being an actor, model, and doing, you know, having that transition after football, I, I wanted my players to understand that we're going to build this mega platform for you to do the thing, the other things. We I want to see you play football, but what else do you want to do? You want to be a model, actor, content creator, whatever, entrepreneur, show, let us help you do that. And then when the NIL came out, I kind of figured out what was going, like what was going to happen. They were only going to focus on the top one, 2%. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew it. You're going to talk, the top players were going to get millions and millions of dollars. And it was going to be that, that type of business for a while until it kind of simmered down. A, a casting director that actually casted me in a, in a commercial. Uh, he actually owns a tech company too. And, you know, he and I, we've been wanting to work together for quite some time and we knew this was, was, was going to be it. And as we're, we're, we're kind of going like figuring out like what, how do we want to be a part of NIL? And that's when it really hit me. Like, I don't want to focus on the top one, 2%. I want to focus on the 98%. And can you build me something that can allow us to focus on the 98%. And that's what he did. And then to even have even more of a stronger and even more dialed in impact, we said, and this is where we are right now. We've, we've, we've been through this NIL for about a year. We've done some great campaigns with Best Buy, Target, Walmart. But what we've learned is millions and millions of dollars have been put into this, this new space, but no financial literacy. And it reminded me of when I was in college and like the, the, the credit cards was on the campuses and you were like, then you get out of college, you're like, wow, I got, I got 10 grand of debt. And, you know, and you as, a, as an athlete and as students, you just didn't know. And so what we've come up, we've partnered up with a company called EverFi that has an educational piece where we're going to open up a mandatory NIL education piece through uh, the colleges, but connecting not only the colleges, but student athletes to banking institutions, hmm. opening up financial literacy for HBCU schools. Yeah. Now, what makes it so, this is the critical part right here. I've, I've noticed that when I noticed uh, the research I've done, the banking institutions have promised over $36 billion worth of social impact funds. And some of that is financial literacy. So now we're going to be the vehicle to student athletes, especially HBCU schools, the bridge to banking institutions through social impact funds. Hmm. And we're going to impact our young Black athletes 
that really that are undeserved that don't go to the power five schools mm-hmm. and have the opportunity to get those NIL deals. We're going to work straight with the banking institutions and be the bridge to financial literacy for the student athlete. Where did you learn about finance? Through all the women that I've been <laughs> coming from you know, the projects and my mom and my dad never went to college. You know, they, my dad was just, they were just hardworking people. You don't, you don't learn those and you don't learn that in college. I didn't learn how to write a check until I had rent, you know, in college, my junior year. So you learn like most people as you go and, you know, you make horrible decisions. And then once you make the horrible decisions, you start to understand what you can and can't do. And, you know, I've always had the mindset of not just having one thing going on. If you've noticed, (laughs) I I try my best to have a lot of different streams of revenue coming in because you just don't, you know, you just don't know what life is going to, you know, throw at you. Mm -hmm. And having that type of understanding, my wife has that that type of understanding. We, 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 we've taught each other, but Mm -hmm. I can be honest with you, women, women are a lot better. (laughs) I've noticed that women are a lot better with money. And, and I've learned a lot, a lot from my, my wife. She's very, frugal she you know she's very detailed with what where things go and all that that is that is beyond me i i'm focused on these other things but mm. that's kind of how i learned you know about finance find a good partner you don't want to be unequally yoked and it sounds like you have what's your wife's name ashley Ashley. Well, Ashley, you're awesome. We love you. Thank you for all that you do. Ray, this has been an incredible conversation. I feel like we could talk for another three hours. You've got some businesses to run though. How can people keep up with you? Yeah, you can go to all my socials, uh, Ray Austin 36, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm on fire on LinkedIn. So holler at me. I'm, I'm on fire on LinkedIn. So yeah. But, uh, and you go to my website, RayAustin36.com, see some of the stuff I've done and absolutely look into uh, fan control sports and entertainment. And if you are an athlete and you're looking to do some stuff and uh, just to be a part of our culture, go to athlete.co, spelled A-T-H. LYT.co and uh, come hang out with us. Thank you so much. This is such a great episode. And thank you for believing and preparing and just taking life by the horn. So it's so inspiring. I appreciate it. This was great. I loved it. Thanks, Alicia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you gained wisdom that will help you rule your life. Let's stay connected on social media. We're at Ruling Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at rulingsports.com and email me your thoughts about the show at alicia at rulingsports.com. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the show and join us next time.